church, we're celebrating who we are, and who we are is summed up in those three words, that we are a community on mission. And I don't know how long, some of you guys have been at Trinity Life for a few weeks, some of you guys have been at Trinity Life since uh, its inception, and, um, you know, we're celebrating three years today, but really we're just celebrating three years of being in a Sunday morning uh, worship gathering a Sunday morning service. It's just the easiest thing to mark. Um, but Trinity Life began eight to nine months before then when two families who didn't know each other moved to Toronto, met in Toronto, and said, let's plant a church together, and then started meeting everybody else. And I didn't know any of you guys before we moved here. We met all of you guys after we moved here. And, it, and, then, and that's how Trinity Life started. And it really started with two families saying, what does it look like to bless our city? What does it mean to live on mission in Toronto and to start uh, giving back to our city? And see, we recognize that the church in many ways uh, doesn't, the church in general, doesn't give back to the city. The city looks at the church as, as a parasite on the city. And we wanted to say, how do, we, how do we be a people, a community on mission? And like I said, it, doesn't, it didn't start with a Sunday morning worship gathering. It just started with two families living in our city, trying to fulfill the mission of God as best as we knew how. And we didn't know what we were doing. A few months later, we met Adam and Emily. We met a whole bunch of other people. People started gathering. And what attracted people wasn't... Uh, my preaching in Dundas Square on the street corner. I'm just kidding, I didn't do that. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't um, a Sunday morning worship service. It was living on mission. It was a community that was on mission for Christ. And that's what I want you to hear throughout the whole sermon today, that that is who we are. We are this community that's on mission. And that's we want to be moving forward into this new year. Um, there's this guy named Robert Coleman. He is an evangelism professor. He wrote this book called The Master Plan of Evangelism. It is, it's the book when you go into seminary, <clears throat> when you go into seminary that they hand everybody. I mean, everybody reads it when they go into seminary. And it's, it's a tiny book. It's about this big, I don't know, maybe less than 100 pages. You can read it in one sitting if you wanted to. And it's sold millions and millions of copies around the world. This guy, he says, there's four turns of the heart. There's a turning of the heart to Jesus as Lord. There's a turning of the heart to the scriptures. There's a turning of the heart to the community of believers. And there's a turning of the heart to living on mission for Christ. And those can happen in any order, he says. When we started Trinity Life Church, we saw people not being attracted to the first two, but really being attracted to a community of believers and then seeing people live on mission. We had people come alongside us who didn't believe the same things we believed, but they saw the mission of Christ living out and they wanted to be a part of it. Uh, we saw people who, who, who wanted to be part of a community that you heard here that, that they saw that was genuine, that was transparent, that wasn't a superficial church experience, um, and that attracted them to that. So when you hear community on mission that we're going to talk about today, uh, Think of, think of how you came to Trinity Life and, and, and think, oh, yeah, what actually attracted me 
to be part of this body of believers in our city. So um, that's the bottom line of the sermon today. Just nothing fancy. I don't have any rhymes. It's not alliterated. It's just we are a community on mission. And that's what this passage is all about in Exodus chapter 33. This, this people here, the people of Israel, are a community that God has called and said, I need you to do this in the world. This is what I'm calling you to do. This is what you're supposed to do in the world. And you're supposed to give glory back to me. You're supposed to point everyone else to who I am. And they haven't done a great job of it so far. Uh, we'll talk about that a little later. But in chapter 3 here, uh, Moses begins by saying, he, he begins by talking to the Lord and say, you've told me to bring up this people. And he's, what, he, what we see here is, is a definition of a community on mission. What, what, what is it? And it's all about relationships. Moses is like, I need people. I need help. Who, who's, you've told me to bring these up, but you haven't let me know who you're actually sending with me. And he's, he's like, I have these people here, but no one's really on the same mission as I am. Uh, just previous to this chapter, uh, Moses went up on the mountain to talk to God, and the people, he left the people, and they got restless, and they said, Where, where's Moses? Is he, is he coming back? He's just up there doing his thing. So they decided that they were going to make their own God. And they, everyone gave their gold and their jewelry. They melted it, and... Uh, they formed it into this golden calf, and they started worshiping this golden calf instead of the God who just brought them out of slavery and bondage in the nation of Egypt into the wilderness and was providing for them the whole way. And Moses looks at the people, and he's like, you've given, there's people here, but who are you actually sending with me to accomplish this mission? Which, which part of this mass group of people, millions of people were there, is actually this community on mission that needs to be on mission that's fulfilling what you've called us to do? And he, he, throws this, he throws this question out. And he asks God to consider in verse 13, he says, consider too that this nation is your people. And so you see here words that are talking about uh, this community, that it's, it's a nation, it's, it's his people it's, it's, uh, he's, he's saying to God, like, these are your people. you got to remember this. Now tell me who's going to come and help me accomplish this task. Tell me who's going to be this community on mission uh, with me. So he goes on in, in verse 14, and God says this to him. He doesn't act, God doesn't say, um, I'm going to send you Joshua, who's going to be your aide, your assistant, who's going to be your protege. He doesn't say, I'm going to send you uh, Miriam, your sister, who's going to help you lead the people, or Aaron, who's your brother, who's going to be the high priest. He doesn't say any of those things. Uh, he says, actually, in verse 14, it's my presence. My presence will go with you, God says to him. And he says, I will give you rest out of that. And so God doesn't say, you know, he's going to go, she's going to go. He says, all you have to worry about is me going with you. And that's the difference between a community and a community on mission. God going with them and God going before them. You see, we can actually be a, a good community. There's lots of good communities out there. Um, there's, there's people who find community in other places. Um, but what makes the church distinct, what makes the Christian faith distinct, 
is we're not just a community, but we're a community on mission. We're a community with God. And so when we hear genuine, when we hear transparency, um, we're reflecting who God is. When we hear risk-taking and bold, we're reflecting who God is. When we hear family and home, we're reflecting what God uh, wants and is trying to build among us. When you hear refuge or oasis or, or these other words, um, that's, that's the difference between the church and between, and between what you can find out there in the city, okay? And if we're not being that, then we're doing something wrong. We're not reflecting who our Savior is. We're not reflecting God's goodness and his glory. And that's the whole point here. God says, don't worry about who's going to go with you. Just know this, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And so God's presence becomes this prerequisite for us moving, okay? It becomes a prerequisite for the church moving forward and being on mission. Where God goes, we want to go. And so Moses responds in verse 15, and he says, if your presence will not go with me, don't bring us up from here. Basically, he's saying, we'll stay here, we'll die here. If you don't go before us, we're not going to go. We're not going to move. Because he says, this is the reason in verse 16, for how shall it be known that I've found favor in your sight? We need to know that your favor is going before us, he's saying, before us, and he says, before me and your people, because it's in you going before us that makes us distinct from every other people on the face of the earth. And so God needs to, we need to be a, a community on mission, a community that is on mission because God has gone before us, okay? And this sounds really simple, it sounds really foundational, it sounds uh, not unlike things we've talked about uh, before, uh, but as we've been, as we have been in existence for three years, because of this, per, uh, this uh, mentality, We've developed a few things in Trinity Life. So uh, here's, here's a couple things. This is our vision statement. Uh, discovering identity and destiny in Christ, influencing our city and the world. That's, that's our vision statement. If you've been at Trinity Life any length of time, you've heard that statement, and you've heard it repackaged in every single sermon probably. <laughs> um, we talk about identity in Christ so, so much. Um, the majority of... Uh, counseling issues I, I deal with actually boil down to you realizing who God is and who you are in relation to God. That's your identity in Christ. Um, and then you can work out, work out issues. Identity in Christ is so, so huge, knowing who you are. And destiny in Christ is this purpose. We have this purpose that God's given us, and he's given it to all of us. And it's a singular purpose. Okay? It's a singular destiny. You all don't have uh, separate destinies here. We're kind of taking destiny back from our culture and saying, no, God's given us a purpose as believers, as followers of Jesus, and that is to reflect his glory. That is just show the world who God is. That is to be salt and light. That is to um, just be Jesus to this world and share the love of Christ. That is our destiny. And where your specific gifts, passions, influence come in, is in this last part. And through your identity and destiny in Christ, you actually begin to influence our city and the world. And so there's an order in those statements. Um, once you realize your identity, you can actually fully live in your destiny, 
and, and begin influencing our city and the world for Christ. So that's, that's what brought us together. That's what has unified this church over the past three years. That's what we developed early on as we looked at our city and looked at who we are. And then these, these two other things came out. So we just finished our Jesus Calling series. Over the, over the summer, uh, we preached through the Bible, the entire Bible. <laughs> um, and we traced uh, this paradigm of discipleship throughout the entire scriptures. Hear, trust, obey is what we say discipleship is. It is not a course. It's not, there's not a, an end point. You aren't, you aren't ever finished being discipled. And when you're a follower of Christ, you're always growing in Christ. And it's through hearing God's voice and trusting his voice enough to obey it, okay? And that works itself out in the rhythms of life, what we say are up, in, and out. And up, in, and out, it's up is your relationship with the Father, um, in is your relationship in community, where you hear, trust, and obey in community, and then out is how we hear, trust, and obey as we live on mission in our city. And those don't happen in order, they happen simultaneously, up and out, as we hear, trust, and obey in those ways. So we've developed that language as we've been a church over the past three years um, to reflect that we are a community on mission, and as Moses says, to reflect that we are a community who doesn't want to go where God isn't going. Our work in the city, when we engage a city, we're all about partnering where God is already working and just pushing that forward as best as we can. Sharing the love of Christ, infusing the gospel, and that makes us a community on mission. And, and Moses is, is so bold here. He says, what you've said I'll do because I found, I found favor in your sight. And, and God says to him, um, yes. And he says, I know you by name, Moses. It's so personal. And when he says, I know you by name, Moses says to him, please show me your glory. And it's this bold expectation that God is going to do something great. And God says to him, I'll make all my goodness pass before you. And I'll give you my name, the Lord, which is God's personal name. This is God's per uh, who he is personally. He, and it shows this immense, intimate relationship that God has with his people. So that's what a community on mission looks like. Um, that's what a community on mission is. But what, is, what does a community on mission do? Like if that's, that's all great, but what do we do as a church? What are we supposed to be doing? Uh, going into chapter 34 in this book, the, the people of Israel, like I said, they really messed up in chapter 32 with the golden calf thing. Um, Moses actually is carrying uh, the Ten Commandments when, he's, when he comes down and he sees them uh, worshiping an idol and he gets so angry, he just like smashes them down. And like, God just wrote those things. <laughs> he, but it makes him so angry. He's so zealous for who God is that it just makes him angry that the people aren't living the way they're supposed to be living. And stuff happens, you know, there's consequences for their sin uh, when they do that. And, and then this portion that we just read happens with Moses. And now the, people, uh, now the people need to renew their covenant with the Lord. 
they need to they need to reorient, they need to refocus, and they need to renew what uh, and be reminded of what God had called them to do. And so, in chapter thirty-four, we see this that that uh, Moses begins to renew this covenant for the people before God, and he does it by doing a few different things. And there's a few different themes that that come out of here, and and this is. This is, if we're going to, this is year three, and we're constantly renewing our focus. We're constantly, I mean, that vision statement, that's our guide. We're constantly renewing, okay, what are we missing? I talked about things that we need to restore last Sunday. Um, what, do, what do we need to restore in our community? What do we need to remind ourselves of? And so here's a few things that Moses does uh, in renewing the covenant. The first one is a culture of expectation. Moses, uh, or God says to Moses, behold, I'm making a covenant before the people. And he says a couple things. He says, I'm going to do marvels. I'm going to do miracles. I'm going to do great things. And he says, you shall see the work of the Lord. And I, I love this because everyone uses the word awesome today. Like awesome is actually in the Bible right here. And God says, for it's an awesome thing that I'm going to do with you. <laughs> That's awesome. That's really cool <laughs> that, he, that he uses this. Um, and it creates this culture of expectation that the people, they should know that God is going to do something in them, in their midst, that God is going to do marvels. But not only that, that God isn't just going to do something to them, God is actually going to do something through them. And that's the difference uh, between, that's the difference in the church today. We're okay with the culture of mediocrity. We're okay with the status quo. You heard Jackson say, uh, challenging the status quo on there. It's actually four words. He should have cut out one of those words, um, but that's okay. Uh, challenging the status quo, um, because that's what the church should be. We shouldn't be okay with mediocrity because we serve a great God. So we should expect great things. So when we gather, whether it's on a Sunday morning, whether it's in your body life groups, your midweek, our midweek small groups, whether you're just with other believers, we should expect something great to happen. You should expect God to do something to you, but not just that. You should expect God to do something through you to help somebody else. Like I said before, we've met all of you guys. Some of you we haven't met yet. We've met all of you guys since we've been in Toronto. And don't, don't hear like boastfulness out of this. This is God. Um, the only reason you're here is because we're here. You wouldn't be in, you, might, you probably wouldn't be in Jarvis. You definitely wouldn't be at Trinity Life Church. Um, so now, who's going to be here because you're here? Who are you going to be the reason for being here for? Does that make sense? Because of obedience... We're able to gather here, and we're here. We're celebrating three years. Now, who's going to be here because you're here? That's the culture of expectation we should have, that God works through us in drawing our city into the kingdom of God, into the body of Christ. And when I say here, I don't mean here on Sunday morning. Although we love Sunday morning, uh, and it could mean here, this is an awesome time to worship Jesus, but this isn't the entirety of the church. The church happens every day of the week in your workplaces, in your homes, in your marriages, in your friendships, 
in your relationships, uh, when you are depressed, when you are uh, joyful, when, and everything in between. Um, and that's the beauty of the body of Christ. And so think about that in your workplaces. What are you supposed to be restoring in your workplace? What do you expect God to do there? You know, your job might suck. I talk to, I, I can look across here and, 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 and tell you, I, I know whose job sucks, because you've told me. <laughs> how's, God, how's God using you to restore in that workplace? And your job, your job actually may be great. You may have a great job. Now how's God using you? Um, you know, I think of Simon. Uh, he's got a great schedule. Uh, he's got a great job. He's a, he's a photographer. So he doesn't go to an office. He g- gets to play tennis on Mondays with me sometimes. <laughs> uh, but he gets to use his job for God's glory. Even though he loves what he does, it's his calling, right? Um, he gets to ask that question, too. How is God using me? You who, who hate your job right now, who you know this is just, I've been there, guys. I've, I've been in a job where I know that this is just a season. I'm moving on eventually. Um, mine was advertising sales. If you've never done sales, cold calling, advertising, in a product you don't believe in, don't talk to me about a sucky job. <laughs> It's the worst job ever. Um, and I know what it's like to think there's got to be something greater than this. There's got to be something more. God has to have something better for me than this and to feel like you're dying. Uh, but I had asked the question while I was in that, what does God want, how does he want to use me? And I was the manager of a team. So how does he want to use me to uh, restore his kingdom in this team? Um, actually, God ended up using that job to call me in the ministry. Uh, so it ended up being a, a lot bigger picture for me. Um, but that's a culture of expectation. It's boldness. It's risk-taking. Uh, there's somebody here today who um, is following a dream because uh, uh, they had a rough situation. They said, I'm going to take this opportunity to follow my passions and my desires that God's put in me and, and follow a dream. Maybe that's the next step for you guys, because God wants to do something great in your life, in the church, through the community on mission. Okay, so culture of expectation. The next thing is a culture of devotion, and uh, in this passage, uh, God makes it clear that idol thing you guys do with the golden calf, that better not happen again, because if it does, there's just going to be consequences. And, and he says, you need to be devoted to me. And he uses very strong language here. He says, you guys are whoring after those gods. You're whoring after uh, the, their daughters and their sons. And that can't be you guys. You guys need to be a holy, pure people who is solely devoted to me. So the question we should ask ourselves as a community, if we were a community on mission, is, are we cheating God? What are we whoring after that we shouldn't be? What have we replaced God with? What are, what are we cheating God, God with? And then, and then culture of devotion, and this kind of goes into the next thing, a culture of celebration. Because right after this, he calls them to remember what he's done for them. He's like, remember what it used to be like Remember when you were in bondage and slavery? Now you're free. Remember that and celebrate that. 
And celebrate this way. Give sacrificially. Give the first to me, God says. Okay? And when I just said give, most of you guys thought about money, um, which, you know what? Finances, uh, maybe you've grown up in church, you've heard about finances all the time, or maybe you've grown up outside of church, and you're like, all oh, they want is your money. Um, money is the least of God's concerns. Uh, it's the least of our concerns for you. Um, what we want is your heart, and that's what devotion is about. It's about your heart. When your heart is devoted to God, money won't matter. You will give to God your first because you'll do it joyfully and cheerfully. So um, Moses here is getting at this culture of devotion. What it does is it, it allows us to not just give financially, but it allows us to sacrifice something of ourselves, our lives to God, and that's devotion. Most of us are good at sacrificing God for other things. We're not good at sacrificing other things for God. What are you sacrificing God for? And what do you need to start sacrificing for God? And Moses here says, your first goes to God. Is God worth your first? Or is your job more important and that's worth your first? The other way around. Or is it your family? And family is a great thing. I love my family. My family is amazing. I, I love all my girls. Um, I mean, we have fun all the time. But do I sacrifice God for the sake of my family? Do you sacrifice God for the sake of your family or your relationships? Do you sacrifice God for the sake of your success? For the sake of your sleep? For the sake of your vacation? For the sake of your rest? I mean, we can put anything in that category. Um, God comes first. And that's what Moses is getting at here. But then he, the last thing he talks about is a culture of faithfulness. And if we're going to renew our covenant with God as a church, it has to be under a culture of faithfulness as opposed to a culture of fruitfulness. Okay, we can, what I, what I mean by that is our focus. Moses is focusing, focusing them on God here. God says a couple things. He, he says, basically, trust me to work for you. He talks about Sabbath rest here. And he says, trust me to work. Um, you guys work six days and then rest. And I'll work, I'll, I'll work for you guys. My work doesn't stop, he's, he's saying. And in the church, we're often focused on fruit, on reward, on something tangible that we can see that um, God has done or we want God to do. Uh, and this could be good things, guys. This could be uh, baptisms. It could be people coming to Christ. It could be... Uh, um, bad things too, but, you know, sometimes it, it can be great, it can be church growth, things like that, but all God's called us to do is to be faithful. He's, he makes the fruit, he produces the fruit, all we're doing is being faithful to what God's called us to do, and what God's called us to do is teach people how to discover their identity in Christ, their destiny in Christ, and how to influence the world. If we're faithful in seeing that through, then he's going to take care of the fruit, and we want fruit, but when we have our focus on that instead of on just being faithful to God, we get a little off or completely off. It's, it's, it's a 180. So those are, those are ways that we should be renewing our covenant as a church, expecting God to do great things, fully devoted to God, celebrating by giving 
sacrificially to God and, and then having a culture of faithfulness. But why? And why should we do these things? Why, why is this important? Why, why does it even matter that we are a community on mission? Why does it even matter that we should live that way in our city? Why can't we just have a great time here together, eat some bagels, and, and then go home? Why, why do we need to be this community that is on mission for God? And here's the thing. Uh, chapter 34 finishes out with Moses going back up the mountain. So they've renewed their covenant. Now Moses goes back up on the mountain. And those tablets that he broke that had the Ten Commandments on them, uh, God gives Moses new ones. And when Moses comes down the mountain, he has these two stone tablets in his arms. And he's carrying them down. But that's not, that's not the only thing that's happened to Moses when he went up. He came down with these two tablets, but there's something else different about him. The Bible says his face shone. The skin of his face was bright, and his face was like light. His face was like the sun because he had been with God. See, we can... If Moses had come down the mountain and all he had were these two tablets with all these rules and regulations on, and he, give those to the, and he gives those to the people, all he's doing is giving the people religion. But when they see that he's actually been with God, when he gives them those two tablets, he's not giving them religion. He's giving them something that was born out of a relationship with God. You see, we're supposed to give our city what we've received from God. And most of us are good at giving religion. We're good at giving rules. We're good at giving uh, regulations. We're not so great at saying this is out of a relationship with God. And in a community on mission, we can't just, just say, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that, and do this, do this, do that. We have to say, it's not about that, it's about him. And we have to point to the Father, and we have to say, all this comes out of a relationship. And that's why we live this way. If we didn't have this relationship, there'd be no point in us living this way. There would be no point in, in Moses giving them the Ten Commandments because it, it wouldn't matter. He says it's out of this relationship. And they see Moses. Um, the people of Israel see his face. And at first, they're, they're shocked. They're scared. They, they kind of go back. And Moses actually has to wear a veil on his face the rest of his life because his face is so bright the rest of his life. That's who we should be as a community. Our city should see a face that is lit up by the glory of God. Not us handing them two tablets of stone to, to follow these rules and regulations. If we're going to hand people truth, they need to see that we've actually been with God. That's a culture of expectation. That's a culture of devotion. That's a culture of celebration. 
And that's the culture of faithfulness that we want here at Trinity Life Church. Um, I, uh, spent about four years uh, growing up in Indonesia. And in Indonesia, when we were there, um, we lived in an expat community. And we were, we were pretty divorced from, from a lot of things in the culture um, because we lived in this walled compound. Uh, we used to call it the complex. Uh, and our driver would take us in the walls, gates would close, and then inside there it was like self-sufficient. We had playground, pools, uh, you know, you, you got your maids and, you know, other, other things. Everything was, everything was in there. Um, we'd only go out when we, went to, when we went to school or played, my, my parents played uh, badminton. Actually, in, they say badminton here, right? You guys say badminton. Um, uh, we'd go out and, and do that, or, or errands, or other things. But I was I was um, uh, in grade school, so when our driver took us out, I couldn't really even see out the window. We just went to school, and it was an international school, so it wasn't even it's not like Indonesian public school. We would go into our school, and and then our driver would pick us up, and we go and we go home. Before we moved, my dad. Uh, and he wasn't a believer at the time. Him and my mom didn't know Jesus. Uh, they took us outside the walls of the complex, and right outside the walls, he said, I want you to see this before we leave. And right outside the walls of our complex, which was pristine and beautiful, and we're, we're living like kings there, uh, right outside are the slums, our huts, uh, dirt, everything, uh, a small creek where people are going to the bathroom on one side, washing their clothes on the other side. Um, and he took us out into the village and he said, you know, what we've been living in the past three, four years, that wasn't the real world. This is the real world. And this is what I want you to change about it. This is what you get to change about it. And I was young. I'm not, like I said, I was in grade school. And I'll never forget that. We weren't followers of Jesus, but that changed my entire worldview. We moved to the States after that. And like I said, actually, my dad and I were talking about it last month when I was with him. He was mentioning it. He's like, do you remember that time I took you out? And I said, Dad, that changed my life. And that's what the Father is speaking to us as a community on mission. You see, that's the difference. We were a community in that complex, but we were just living for ourselves. When my dad took me outside the walls and said, this is what you were made for, then he put me on a mission. And that's what our Father, our Heavenly Father does for us. He says, you weren't created just to live your lives comfortably. You weren't created for an easy life. You were created to know who you are in Christ, your identity, 
You're created to know your destiny in Christ, that you are for my glory, and you're created for the world to influence our city and the world. And you're to take what I give you and to give it to the world, to give it to your city. And you're to give them this relationship that reflects my glory. That's why one of the biggest, most profound uh, metaphors for the church is that we are the light of the world. And we get to shed that light in the darkness and watch the darkness flee. My, if I was on this video, which I guess they didn't want me on the video, my three words would be this. My experience with Trinity Life over the past three years, I would have said Trinity, life, church. Because I've experienced God like I've never experienced him before over the past three to four years. Because I know God better now than I knew last year or three years ago. And I know the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and I've experienced life like I never knew was possible. And we had an easy life before this. <laughs> we, had, we were successful by the world standards. Uh, we had great jobs. I was teaching theology as a professor and a youth pastor, and Missy had a great job in business. We had a home. We had everything. We were by family but we experienced life in the past three or four years like we never knew was possible. This is a different quality. When you follow Jesus and you're obedient, it's a different quality of life. Even though it's harder, even though it's uh, hurtful, even though it's beautiful, <laughs> it's all those things. Um, even though it's, yeah, it's all those things. But then the church, I never knew the church could be like this. until we started one. <laughs> and you hear, the reason I watched that video over and over again this week was because you hear family and home and genuine and transparency. I had never had those experiences in church before this. And so whether you're a follower of Jesus here today or you're not a follower of Jesus, or this is your first time in Trinity Life Church, or you've been here since the beginning, we want to invite you to experience the Trinity. We want to invite you to experience life. We want to invite you to experience the church in a new way that maybe you've never experienced before. Because we want you to discover your identity and destiny in Christ as you hear, trust, and obey through the rhythms of up and out in order to influence our city and the world.